Look, pull out your message notes. Uh, I want to talk today, the, the whole series, Reply All, is really a response to the surveys that we took for Easter. Uh, I love Easter. It's a day that everybody comes home. Uh, it's an amazing celebration, but it's also a day that we get a lot of information from you. And one of those is, what are some topics that you're saying, I would love to know more of what God's Word talks about in this topic? And so, you know, it's, it's a great time for you to really say, this is what I'm struggling with. And then we try to get all the information and we compile it into this series. Uh, it's been called You Asked For It. This time it's called Reply All. Oh, I stole that from my pastor, Pastor Chris Hodges, and I love the, the name. And so today's message is really a compilation of five or six topics that you asked for. Some of you said, look, my kids are are going you know, crazy, one of them got thrown in jail, or I'm walking through a divorce, or someone died. And so there was a lot of these like worst moment scenarios, like life is tough, a bad situation has happened, so what do I do? And so I'm going to try to answer all of those in today's message, and we're going to entitle it, Surviving Life's Worst Moments, Surviving Life's Worst Moments, that I'm here to help you find hope in the middle of despair. And that we're going to face these moments where life turns terrible on us and bad events begin to happen. And I just need you to know there's nothing you can do. Like life's going to happen and bad things happen to good people. But we can find God's word in how we respond to those situations. So I can't keep them from happening. But I can find out how God wants me to respond in these situations. You know, they're unexpected. They're devastating when they happen. Think about the death of a loved one. You say somebody's sick, but nobody's ever prepared for your loved one to die. I mean, it's still devastating. Some of you have had loved ones die, and they weren't sick. Uh, A divorce. How many know nobody ever plans for a divorce when you get married? Nobody ever says, I do, and then, oh, yeah, we're going to get a divorce. No, So it's devastating when you walk through a moment like that. Maybe you've just been diagnosed with cancer. You got the phone call. You went to the doctor's office, and they said, yes, it's cancer. How many know that's devastating? Maybe you got laid off from work, thought you were doing a good job, paying your tithes, paying offerings. You walk in, and you're like, oh, they just laid me off. Like, what in the world is happening? Maybe you're a business owner. You got employees, and your bills got ahead of your income, and you had to file bankruptcy. I mean, these are just moments that happen in our life. And so how do we deal with this? What do we do? How do we respond when this happens and it's a really bad day? Now, before we go into that and and I share how to respond, I, I read an article in a newspaper in Florida about a guy that had a really bad day. And I don't normally read articles like this, but I thought I would read this one to us this morning. It said a man was working on his motorcycle out on the deck or the patio Uh, outside, and his wife was actually in the kitchen, and he was revving up the engine on the motorcycle, and all of a sudden, the engine went into gear, and uh, the man was holding on to the motorcycle, so he slams into uh, the glass door and ends up inside the living room. The wife hears this crash, comes running into the living room, and she finds her husband's laying on the floor. He's cut. He's bleeding. Uh, And so she does what all good wives would do. She calls 911. Paramedics show up. Now, paramedics had to walk up a hill because they lived on the hill. And so they arrive. They transport the husband to the hospital. 
but before the wife goes to the hospital, she thinks, look, there's gas all over the floor, so I'll get some toilet paper and paper towels, and I'll get the gas up. Well, she cleans it up, and then she actually puts them in the toilet. She heads to the hospital, didn't think anything of it. Husband was treated, but then released. And so they come on back home. The husband comes back to the house, and now he's despondent. He comes in and he sees this mess, the motorcycle parts laying on the floor, the smell of gasoline, the broken doors, and all the damage that had been done. And so he's depressed. He grabs a smoke and a cigarette, lights it up, and goes sits on the toilet and uh, just tries to deal with this moment. And you know what happened. Some of you started laughing. You can already imagine. He gets to the end of the bud like all good smokers do because you got to get all of it. And he flips it into the toilet, and you can imagine what happens. Kaboom. He flies on one side. His pants fly on another side. The wife hears the noise. She comes running in, seeing the toilet has been blown up, and he's in pain. He's burned all on the backside of his body. So again, the wife runs to the phone, calls the ambulance, and the same paramedic crew that responded earlier responds to this call. So they go up inside the home, put the man on the stretcher, and as they start to walk down the stairs, ask the wife what happened. So she tells them, they start laughing so hard, they tumble him out of the stretcher. He falls on the stairs, rolls down the stairs, and breaks his arm. I mean, oh, that's a bad day. <laughs> Oh, I don't want to have a day like that. Come on. So here's the question. What do I do when I have a bad day? What do I, have, what do, I do when a moment like this or life's worst moments come upon my life? What do I do? The reality is you're going to have to make some choices. And you're going to have to make choices because your feelings and emotions in these moments are going to want to go one way. But you've got to make decisions and choices that lead your life in a totally different way than your emotions want you to go. And so if you're walking in a moment right now, maybe it's a crisis, maybe it's one of the moments that I mentioned, I just want to take a moment and encourage you. I'm going to get to some, some practical solutions, but can I just look at you and tell you that God loves you, that no matter what you're walking through, his hope, his peace, his grace, his strength is here for you. And though the devil would try to steal, kill, and destroy, don't forget the back half of that verse. It says, but God has come that you may have life, that Zoe life, life more abundantly. You're going to make it. God hadn't forgotten about you. God loves you and this message is for you. I want to dive in, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. You can follow along on the screens, your message notes or the app. I just want to dive into a few passages of Scripture. It says, We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. Now, this is Paul. He's saying, look, we've come across trouble. Uh, and look, he says, we were under great pressure. Has anybody ever felt the pressure of life? The pressure of a situation, the pressure of marriage, the pressure of boss and responsibilities. And so you have to know that that's normal. And look at what Paul says. He says, far beyond our ability to endure. I don't know if you've ever been in that place. I've been there where you feel like I'm hanging on by a thread. God, if one more thing happens, just like that dude fell out and broke his arm, if one more thing happens, I don't know if I can make it. Paul's been there. 
And that's good because I understand that he made it just like I'm going to make it. And I can endure even when it feels like I won't make it. And then look at what Paul says. I, I don't know if you've ever even read this. But even when studying this out, I thought, isn't that interesting, that he despaired of life itself, almost as if he was suicidal. Have you ever had a thought that this world would be better without me, that life would be better if I wasn't here? I need you to know the devil may put those thoughts in your mind and in your heart. They did it with Paul. The demonic spirits would say, there is no hope. You're feeling despair. But there is a God that has hope in the midst of hopeless situations, and it's okay it's okay to feel those feelings because I know if you're a good Christian, it's like, well, I wouldn't feel that. No, baby. Look, Paul says he didn't, he didn't even have so much hope, but he despaired of life itself. It's normal. Can we just normalize the struggle? I'm so tired of this, this, this mindset or this projection on Christians like we don't struggle through life. We struggle. Pastors struggle. People struggle. Why? Because we live in this world and sin has broken the things of this world. We're going to struggle. But I don't have to stay in the struggle. There's hope through the struggle. He says, indeed, we felt as if we'd received the sentence of death. I mean, this is deep. This is dark. And he's, look, man, I, I've been there. He says, but this happened. Look, I love when things happen to us. What we have to understand is it's happening to me because God wants to do something in me. Like, I'm not going through this without any purpose. God's working on the inside of me. He says, look, that we might not rely on ourselves. And as a Christian, it's so easy to rely on your strength, your smarts, your ability. But there comes a point in your life when you face the darkest of moments, those moments when your world collides and collapses, that you have to understand that I cannot rely on myself, but I've got to rely on God who raises the dead. <clears throat> and I love this next passage. Look at what it says. He has delivered us from such a, a deadly peril. He will deliver us again. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us. So he has, he will, and he will continue. That no matter what you're walking through, he has, he will, and he will continue to deliver your life from the perils that the enemy brings your way. Said so the many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted in answer to the prayers of the many. So I want to help you this morning. I want to help us build this plan. What do we do when trouble comes in our life? And just so you know, trouble's coming. Like you're either walking into trouble, you're in the middle of trouble, or you're walking out of trouble, but it's coming. You're like, oh, and I know, Pastor, can't we be more positive? I'm positive trouble's coming. You live long enough, bad things happen to good people. Some things we bring on ourselves, and some things you didn't do anything to deserve. Trouble's coming, but thank God we don't have to face it by ourselves. There's a God in heaven, and he loves us, and he's going to help us walk through it. And someone might say, well, why do bad things happen? Why does trouble happen? And in the reality, it's because of sin. Adam and Eve sinned, and they caused the world to be broken. God didn't create the world to be broken. He created it perfect. He created a paradise that men and women, Adam and Eve, would walk with God, and we would have this place of refuge. But when sin entered the world, it destroyed that. And someone says, well, why didn't God do something about it? He did. He sent Jesus, his one and only son, to die on a cross, and that he would be buried in a tomb, but not stay dead, but resurrected three days later, so the resurrection power of God could be made manifest 
manifest in our life. It is the great rescue plan. And the beautiful thing about it is not only are we going to be rescued in this life with God's strength and his grace and his power, but the greatest thing is that we get to spend an eternity in heaven. He's creating a heaven in the next life so that for us, we can experience the paradise that God has for us. And that's what Christians have. We get to hold on to that hope. But I understand it doesn't mean that life is not going to have difficulties or problems here on this earth because it will. So what do you do when you're walking in the middle of life's worst moments? I want to give us six stages of grief. Six stages of grief. This is going to help bring hope in the midst of despair. This is going to give us a plan to walk through a moment that we experience that could destroy or devastate our lives. And it comes from Pastor Rick Warren. Has, has anybody ever heard of Pastor Rick Warren? Saddleback Church in California. He's a general in the body of Christ. Wrote Purpose Driven, uh, My Purpose Driven Life. Just amazing. Well, six years ago, he lost his son to suicide. Uh, he had a mental illness that eventually would take his life. And so he began to write articles about how do you walk through grief? How do you walk through those devastating moments in your life? And that's where this came from. It's such a powerful tool for us to understand there is a process. That God didn't leave us in that moment, but if we'll follow God's plan and God's process, we'll be better, not bitter. Yeah. It's amazing. First stage is this. When that happens, you experience shock. Everybody say shock. So this is that moment when you first hear the bad news, when your world begins to fall apart. That's that moment where you say, I can't believe that happened. You, you might say something like, I can't believe that happened to me. Uh, I can't believe they're gone. I can't believe I got fired. I thought I was doing good. I thought I was a great employee. I thought I had job security. If you walk in, they fire you. It's that moment you say, I can't believe I've got cancer. I can't believe they've got cancer. I can't believe they left. You thought they would be with you for the rest of your life. I can't believe they left me. It's, it's a moment where you're in shock for what's taking place. Now, it can be big or small. Uh, it's just the fact that you didn't feel or see or think that this would actually be happening in your life. And shock is a human emotion. Can I tell you, God doesn't ever feel shocked. God's not surprised. Like, I know that you got the diagnosis. I know you walked into your job and they let you off, fire. They let you go. I know, I know you walked in and, and something happened and you heard the bad news of the loved one passing away. But because we feel shocked, sometimes we're like, God, you didn't know. God knew. And here's how awesome he is. He's got a plan for you to walk through the pain that you're about to experience because he's never shocked. He's never surprised. He will always be with us with a plan to help us walk through it. I mean, shock is that moment. It's like I just, I didn't see it coming. It happened to me uh, just in 2011. My sister went on to be with Jesus and uh, passed away. And I'll never forget, I was standing in my office in my house and just a normal day. You know, I got off of work, getting home. It was in the evening and I got a phone call from my mom, which wasn't unusual, but what was unusual was the fact that she was having problems communicating. And I knew something was wrong. Have you ever had that phone call, that devastating phone call? It's like something's wrong. And by the time she could articulate it, she said these words, Tina's gone. Pretty devastating. Yeah. Tina's gone. She's, 
What do you mean she's gone? She's passed away. It's that moment of shock. You're kind of like, what what do you mean? Because we were planning. She lived in Vegas. We're planning to bring her home. We knew she was sick. We didn't know she was that sick. She ends up in a hospital. That's the shock. And and the problem with shock and grief in, in that moment is it overwhelms you unexpectedly. And if you've ever had a phone call like that, then what begins to happen is you begin to have a haze over your eyes. Your mind doesn't begin. You don't think straight. Your feelings are out of whack. And so when you have a moment like this, when you've experienced shock, the thing you have to know is that you cannot trust yourself. You're the last person in this moment that you ought to take advice from. That's why you got to have people that you live life with. That's why you got to have men in a small group, women in a small group, teenagers in a small group. Think about that student that hears mom and dad are getting a divorce. Who is it that that student is going to turn to? That's why youth group is not an option. Youth service is not an option because they need relationships just like we need them. You got to have someone that helps you through those bad days. And here's the problem with some of the Christians that I've met is they were hurt by people, so they isolate from people. Look, people are going to let you down. But I understand just as they have let me down, there's moments I'm going to let people down. But if we will make a commitment to do life together, the greatest thing is they'll be there for your big days and your bad days. I want people to celebrate with me, and I want people to cry with me. I want people to rejoice with me, and I want people to walk through this path of pain with me. Why? Because you can't trust yourself. And what we have to do is we have to say, look, I'm not going to follow the emotions that I'm experiencing. I choose to make choices and my choices lead me to people. Look, we see this theme all throughout scriptures of needing people. Ecclesiastes 4.9 says two are better than one. Look, if it was all about this solo act, yes, I've had people say, well, me and Jesus, that's great, that's awesome, but how's it working? You're not connected to the local church. You don't have any Christian friends, but you and Jesus, and that's great, but the Bible never says just you and Jesus. He always talks about brothers and sisters, forsake not the assembling of yourselves, breaking bread together, having someone that's got your back through good, bad, and ugly, that I don't get stuck in the process of this big day, bad day. So look, for the good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But look at, look at what the Bible says. Pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Pity. Why? Because you weren't intended to do life alone. So you, you got to fight the emotion of when a bad day happens, I'm going to go inside of myself, and you've got to run to God, and you've got to run to people. I'm not going to feel like it, but it doesn't matter about how I feel. Feelings are fickle. I make choices to do life with people that love me. Second stage is sorrow. This emotion that God even has. John eleven thirty five 35 is the shortest passage in scripture, and it just simply says Jesus wept. And the thing in the context of that passage that I love is that though Jesus was all God and all man, he still had emotions. And it's easy for us to say, well, God didn't feel nothing. Well, that's not at all what the Bible says. In that moment when Jesus wept, his dear friend Lazarus had passed away. And here's what's amazing. He knew he was going to raise Lazarus up. 
Like he knew he was the solution. But yet in that moment, he felt and understood what it was like to get that news. Your sister's passed. Your father's gone. Your mother's not here anymore. Your brother's not. So he understands that shock in the moment of, of grief where it's like, my God, the worst day is upon me. And so we think, well, God doesn't know. That's not at all what it says. Isaiah 53, 3, look at what it says about Jesus. Jesus was despised and rejected by man. A man of suffering and familiar with pain. Think about that. A man of suffering. I don't know about you, but that's not a label I'd like to have. You know, I, I, I'm good. I'll go through it for God, but I don't want to be labeled. That man was a man of suffering. That man was a man of sorrow. And we understand this. You know why Jesus experienced all that? Because he knows every emotion, every experience. The Bible says he is not unfamiliar with what we have been going through and experienced so that he can be our advocate, so that he would know what it's like to experience that breakup, to experience that loss, to experience the rejection. So now the beautiful thing about Christianity Christianity is we have the authority to say, you're my best friend. You know what this is like, and I need your help to walk my life through this. And sorrow's good. It's an emotion that we feel. The problem with sorrow is some people get stuck in sorrow. There's this overwhelming emotion of sorrow that they never allow themselves to walk through and get healed from. And so then there's this overwhelming sorrow. You ever met someone that's stuck in a loss that happened four or five years ago? That overwhelming sorrow. And David talks about it. Look at Psalm 61. He says, hear my cry, O God, attend to my prayer. From the end of the earth, I will cry to you when my heart is overwhelmed. Not just grieving, overwhelmed with grief. And then he makes a choice. He's like, look, I feel this, but I'm not gonna stay there. It says, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. What's he saying? Look, I need you to take me to that solid place. This overwhelmed feeling of sorrow, it's shifty. It's not good. It'll move my life into the wrong direction. I need a place that's solid. I need a place that's secure. And the only place that I know of in this time is my God. You say, well, how do I get there? I'm glad you asked. Look, look at David's life. He wrote most of the Psalms. So we know one thing about David is that every time he is experiencing these moments of crisis, these moments of pain, where does David go? He goes to worship. He's like, God, I'm experiencing this. And then he'd go write a song about it. He'd go worship to God. There's a power in worship. I remember for me, I actually experienced this, and it was unintentional. I, wouldn't, I didn't even know about this teaching, didn't recognize that this was the way to walk through one of these moments. My sister had passed away, so we were putting together the funeral, and the family came together. And for whatever reason, we just said, we want a worship song in the middle of the funeral. So I'll never forget, they began to sing the worship song, and we're sitting there, and for me, I'm not an emotional guy, which is so funny because on Sundays, the, the, the anointing will hit me and I'll tear up. But I mean, I don't cry. Like, it's hard for me to feel a lot of emotions. I mean, probably a typical guy. So even when Phyllis passed away, it was really painful and feeling it. I mean, Phyllis, when Tina passed away, <laughs> that ain't prophetic. Come on, somebody. <laughs> Thank you for correcting me. Just take that out, somebody. <laughs> Tina passed away, 
I'm sitting on the, fr- on the in the row, and, and they asked me, do you want to say anything? I'm like, no, I really don't want to say anything. I don't want to do anything. I just, I don't even know how to process a loss of this magnitude. And I'll never forget, they began to sing the worship song. I didn't realize it was going to hit me the way it did. We were just worshiping. And everybody's sitting down, and all of a sudden, all I know is all this pressure, all the pain, all the regret, the things I could have done, should have done, would have done. All of it, just in a moment, I, I remember standing up and just, I didn't care. I didn't, it didn't matter who was looking, but I just began to worship God. And something in that moment broke in my heart. Like that sorrow that was so overwhelming. And listen, I couldn't even process it. It was so painful. But in a moment of worship, it broke off my life. So when you're walking through it, what you got to know is worship is powerful. On your darkest day, what do you do? You go to worship. In your darkest moment, what do you do? You go to worship. So you got to fight the emotion that says, God, I'm mad at you. I don't even know if I will. But you got to say, no, you're the rock. You're the one that I go, an overwhelming sorrow. I'm going to run to you in a moment of worship. Which leads us to the third phase, which is struggle. So you experience one of life's darkest moments. You usually enter into a season of struggle. And this is where you're mad at God. You're frustrated at God. And it leads us to that three-letter word. You guys know what I'm talking about, that word, why? Why, God? Why me? Why this? Why them? Why now? Why, God? And here's the thing that I... I'm concerned about us in church and as Christians. We've been taught, don't question God. Don't be mad at God. I need you to know it's okay to question God. It's okay to be mad at God. It's okay to be frustrated with God. God is not concerned about your frustration or your questions. And so I'm, I'm, I find great relief that in the Bible, we actually see Jesus in his most painful moments. This is the moment when... All of creation is culminated. He's hanging on the cross. Never has anybody been tortured, beaten, or bruised like he had been in that moment. And in his greatest, darkest moment, look at what Jesus said. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So the struggle is real, and I think it's okay. Look, you've got permission. God, I feel like you've abandoned me. God, I feel like you quit on me. God, I can't hear you. God, I'm in a dark moment. My God. That's where faith and trust have to come in. Feel the emotion. Feel the experience. But you got to believe that God loves you, and he can see some things that you can't see in your life. Now, let me ask you this. Anybody ever heard of Jack Bauer? 24? Come on in, guys. I got like, I'm starting to feel a little old. Come on. I asked some youngins. They're like, no, I don't know what you're talking about. Listen, it was 2014, so it ain't that long ago. There were nine seasons, and there was this man. His name was Jack Bauer. Worked at CTU. Come on, somebody. And the whole premise (laughs) of this series was that the world was going to end. Like, in this 24-hour period, the world was coming to an end. Well, I'd never even heard of Jack Bauer. Phyllis and I lived in Lindell, Texas. 
four seasons had come out. And one of my coworkers said, man, have you heard of 24? He's like, bro, it's crazy. You got to watch it. I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. He's like, well, here's the first two seasons. Go and watch it. You're welcome. So I'm like, all right, cool. So we start to watch it. Jack Bowers saving the world. Some catastrophe has happened. The world's going to end in just a few moments. And every single one of those episodes, it would leave you with a cliffhanger. Jack has been knocked out. The timer is ticking. The bad guy's getting away, and the world is about to go into a nuclear explosion. Like, it's all coming to an end. And then we go, boop, 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 boop. It count down the last few seconds, and you're sitting there thinking, my God, the world's going to end. Is Jack going to get up? What's going to happen? My God, is this happening in D.C.? Like, and Phyllis and I would look at the show, just one more. We'd say, just one more. It's kind of like crack. Just, just one more. Just one more. I'm probably inappropriate, but that's okay. It's my church. <laughs> whatever, whatever. Not that I'm condoning crack. This is legal. Yeah, so whatever. So I'm like, just one more, just one more. And we watched two seasons. Listen, kid you not, Friday night, it's like 9 o'clock, 7, 7, 8, 9 o'clock. We didn't have kids. We did not even go to church, somebody. We didn't leave the house until 2 o'clock on Sunday, having gone through every episode for season 1 and 2. And every single episode, you're stressed out. It's like, my God, the world's about to end. I'm like, we got to watch the next one, the next one. Finally, I came to the realization there were two more seasons. Jack's not going to die. No matter how bad it gets, Jack is going to make it. Somehow the world's going to be saved, and it's all going to be amazing. I wonder if that's not how God looks at our life. See, every one of our critical situations, our moments of pain, these, these moments where tragedy happens, all we see is in this moment, my world is coming to an end. There's no solution. The devil's done knock me down. He's taken off. They've said this. She's done that. And God's like, but baby, I know there's more seasons to come. This in the end of your life, it's the beginning of a journey that I have for you. And so we have to get the perspective from God that though this is painful, that though there is a struggle, and though we're walking through it, there is hope on the other side. God never leaves us. He never forsakes us. I'm reminded in Hebrews chapter 11, it's the chapter of faith, and I did a whole series uh, running with the giants on this and it talks about some of the greats. Uh, you've got Noah and Moses and Abraham and how they received the promise in this life. And it's awesome. But when you go further into the chapter, it talks about the others. Everybody say the others. These are people that were promised God's promises, but they didn't receive it in this life. Because we have such a small mindset and an understanding of life itself. See, we look at God's promises through the filter of 80 years. God looks at his promises through the filter of eternity. And so I love how the Bible puts us in there because I could feel like a failure. There's things I'm praying for now God hadn't done. And I could look at Moses and Noah and Abraham and all these and say, well, they must have been way more spiritual. But I think for us, look at what he says in verse 35. There were others who were tortured persecuted, mistreated. The world wasn't even worthy of them. They wandered in the deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith. But God, they didn't receive the promise. They were commended for their faith. 
And look, it says, yet none of them received what had been promised. And look, I, I love this. This is the, the, the moment where it goes further than what we can see. God had planned something better. Better. That they would be made perfect. So it's, it's a better solution. And sometimes we get stuck in the struggle saying, God, I don't, I've got to understand the why. I need you to know you may never understand the why, but you've got to trust that God's got something better for you, better for them, and he knows the beginning from the end. And that's what I love about heaven. Don't forget, heaven is our home. This isn't our home. We're sojourners. We're walking through this world. We're in this world, but not of it. Heaven, there's no crying, there's no tears, there's no pain, there's no sorrow, there's no heartache, there's no sin, there's none of this. And so we have a hope that far exceeds our current situations. It's okay to struggle, but don't stay there. The fourth part is surrender. We gotta, we gotta surrender. Struggle should lead us to surrender. If you never get through the struggle, you'll never surrender. It's where you stop fighting the bad day. You stop trying to figure it all out. You stop trying to make sense of everything. And you say, God, look, I surrender. And someone said, well, well explain surrender. Really, it's a five-letter word, trust. That's what it is. I'm not going to wrestle with it anymore. God, I just trust you. It's like with Tina. God, I just, I trust you. I don't understand it. I could go through situation after situation after situation in my life. I mean, we've all had those moments, and this is what I know. I don't understand why they all happen, but I do know God's character. I do know that God loves me, and so ultimately I have to decide if I'm going to trust him. That's the only way you experience peace. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not into your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your path straight. So God, I give you control. God, I give you this situation. God, I give you my life. And really, that's what salvation is, right? Salvation is surrendering our lives. It's saying, God, I give you the control of my life. Even when I don't understand, God, I choose you. I trust you. And for some of you, you've never experienced the salvation I'm talking about. I'm going to give you an opportunity at the end of the service to respond and we'll pray a prayer of surrender. But that's what it is. I trust you. It's all about you. Then the fifth thing is sanctification. This is the process where your loss becomes a lesson. Your loss becomes a lesson. God doesn't create pain. He's not capable of it. But God will take pain and turn it into something good. Whatever the enemy meant to destroy you, whatever the enemy meant to derail you, to steal, to kill, and to destroy, God's going to make it have life and life more abundantly. He's going to turn that bad situation into something that will produce good for his glory. Romans 5 says we continue to shout our praise even when we're hemmed in with trouble. That's what I love about this song. This is how I fight my battles. Look, we worship not because everything's good. We worship because of the God who helps us even when things are bad. Like we worship God. It's a weapon. The God, I worship you. I praise you even if I'm hemmed in with troubles. Anybody ever felt hemmed in with troubles? I told that story and you're probably thinking, yeah, pastor, my story's worse. You don't know anything about what I've walked through. And there are seasons, I wish you could say life hits you with one storm at a time. There are moments where life doesn't hit you with just one storm. It's another storm and another storm and another storm and another storm. And when you feel hemmed in, God is still in control fighting your battles. It says because we know that troubles can develop passionate patience in us. So he's working in us through the circumstances around us. 
And that patience in turn forges a tempered steel of virtue. The tempered steel of virtue. Think about how tempered steel is made. If you know anything, it's heat, pressure, friction, fire. I mean, that's a lot of stuff that hurts and is painful when you get close to it. And here's what I know. How many have ever prayed the prayer, God, use me? Anybody ever prayed the prayer? Just raise your hand. Just say, Pastor, I've prayed it. So we say, God, use me. And God says, oh, okay, okay. So he didn't cause bad things, but what he does is they begin to happen in your life. And that fire that you're feeling, that pressure that you're feeling, the forging, the developing in the middle of that situation is a response that many of us have prayed. God said, I want to use you, but we got to work on this character. I want to use you, but I got to get you out of the way and get me in the spot. So he's forging our lives through the pressure of the situations that we face. First Peter 1 So be truly glad there's a wonderful joy ahead, even though you have to endure many trials for a little while. And I love what he says, a little while. If you have to endure a trial your entire lifetime, it's only 80 years in the span of eternity. So it's a perspectives message. It's like, oh, I got to have the right perspective. He says, these trials will show you that your faith is genuine. It's being tested as fire tests, purifies, and tests, tests and purifies gold. You say, what's being tested? Your faith? Your trust in God? Though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through the trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. So what does that mean, Pastor? My pain is either a jail that imprisons me or a school that shapes me. Well, how do you decide? You choose. That's how come you can have one circumstance happen to somebody over here and they get bitter. Same circumstance happens to somebody over here and they get better. Why? Because the decision is not up to God. The decision is up to you. We've got to get rid of this mentality that I'm a victim. I can't do anything about it. I'm just somebody off to the side. God has made us a champion and the choice is up to you. Is this going to be a place that imprisons me or shapes me. God, were you forging me in the fire? And I recognize that though it's painful, you've never left me, you never will, you'll never forsake me. And so God, I choose to allow it to do its work inside of me. And that ultimately leads us to the sixth part. And this is where the freedom comes in such a greater way. It's the service. It's a service. Look, 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through, uh, chapter 1, verse 3, it says, Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our troubles. What are you saying, Pastor, that the Holy Spirit comforts you? That's what I love about when the Bible, and we've got to be careful about the American gospel. The American gospel is like, you know, oh, we'll never go through anything Fog, favor ain't fair, you know, all this. And it's, it's, no, no, peace that passes all understanding. That's the mark of a Christian. Well, what do you mean, pastor? That means when I'm walking through hell, they can look at your life and say, why do they have peace? Because I know a lot of people that have walked through that, and they don't have the peace that that person has. There's never been this offer of a problem-free life. No, the offer to Christianity is, why don't you take up your cross, follow me. In other words, come and die with me. Walk through the trials, walk through the struggles, and come and die a crucified life. So he says, look, so the troubles... 
He's going to comfort us. In other words, look, your pain has a purpose. That's where the so that, everybody say so that. That means there's something on the other side. He says so that we can comfort those in trouble with the comfort that we ourselves receive. So in other words, I'm going to fill you up. Now I need you to go and fill other people up. I'm going to put my peace inside of you. I'm asking you to take that peace to the world that doesn't have peace. I'm going to put my hope inside of you. And I'm asking you to take that hope into a dark world that has never experienced the hope that you have. And here's the reality. Our church, I think the reason why it's seeing the, the amazing move that we're seeing, and, and there are others as well, but I'm just telling you for me, it's the reality of people understanding your divorce does not disqualify you from serving God. Your pain, whatever situation, your son or daughter going to jail, strung out on drugs. Sometimes you feel like, man, I'm disqualified. I'm a terrible parent. No, you're a good parent. Your kids made bad choices. At some point, you got to stand up and say, my pain, I'm going to receive comfort so that I can comfort the world. This is what I know. You walk through a divorce. You're not disqualified, you're qualified to take the love that God gave you and showed you and comfort that he responded in your dark day and now you go to someone else who's walking through a divorce that feels like their life is over. You said, baby, your life ain't over. You got hope. God loves you. There's a path. There is something on the other side of what you're walking through. Come on. Come on. Why don't you just go ahead and stay standing? For so long, we've allowed ourselves to feel disqualified. I don't know about you, but God uses broken, messed up people. Thank God for his grace. You've experienced the death of a loved one. You know what that does? That qualifies you to go and minister to someone whose mom just passed away, whose dad just, and you say, well, pastor, I prayed over my mom and she didn't get healed. Oh, baby, you missed it. She did get healed. She crossed over into eternity. She's with Jesus Christ right now. Oh, she did. The perspective is he's, she's now with Jesus. But the devil would come in and try to lie to you and disqualify you. Say you're not good enough. You lost your job, you're qualified. Why don't we help those that have lost jobs, can't provide for their family. Tell them there's hope for tomorrow. It's not failure's not final, it's not fatal, but God's got a promise for your life and he is here for you.